0: I didn't even speak for, like, the first year because I was so scared. But then ultimately, like, I got pretty good at it, really bonded, like, with my sensei and my teachers, and it just became my path in life physically, mentally, and spiritually. And so being very young at a formative age and being pretty much, I see, you know, obviously my mother and my father raised me, but I was, like, raised in my dojo. Like, I could have cared less about school, and the only other thing I cared remotely about was music, punk rock music. It was, like... Okay, I'll go to school, but then it's like, I'm either at the dojo or I'm at a hardcore show.
1: That was Erica Mitchner, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Happy 2018. I'm Jess, your host, and this is episode 86 of the YTP, episode number one of the new year. I'm psyched to be kicking off the year with such a strong female presence on the show and someone who gets that it just can't be nutrition and it just can't be physical training because neither of those will work to their highest without the mental piece. Oh yeah, yep, I'm talking about mindfulness and meditation being the key component to this trifecta of high-vibe living. And speaking of integral pieces of health, the Yogi Triathlete Cookbook High-Vibe Recipes for the Athlete Appetite is out. You can buy your copy on Amazon or at triathlete.com forward slash shop, where we also have some new awesome merch. We have a new design for our awake and ready tees, tanks, and long sleeves, as well as our newest edition. snooze is for sissies. Yeah, you heard it right. So check it out, yogitriathlete.com forward slash shop. Pre-orders for the shirts end January 5th, so get it in this week. Signed copies for the book are ready to ship right now. All right, back to our amazing guest. I first became aware of Erica last year when we sat down with her sole partner, John Joseph McGowan, to record his podcast, YTP number 21. If you haven't listened to our conversation with John, I highly recommend checking it out. We've had some pretty intense stories shared on this podcast, but his is pretty hard to imagine. Violence, hardship, major redemption. There's joy in there, veganism, and a lot of passion. John's story is definitely one of a kind, and so is his dialect. Although Erica is not quite as colorful as John, she does drop several F-bombs throughout this episode. So if you've got the kids with you, I want to make sure that you are well-informed because we don't censor our guests. This show is about sharing stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. And I hope you can all see through the words to the beauty that lies underneath the authenticity of these conversations. Our guest today holds a double black belt in karate, the first of which she earned at the age of 17, as well as the black belt equivalent in jujitsu. She is tough as nails, yet possesses a softness that is so comforting to be around. Unless, of course, she's demonstrating self-defense moves on you, which she did on me during the podcast, and then again in a video extra that we'll be posting for our Patreon supporters this week. So if you've ever wondered what I sound like when I feel the sensation of pain, that will be dispelled on the show today. Erica is a personal trainer, a lifelong martial arts disciple. Well, I guess that is, ever since she fell in love with Ralph Macchio. She is a triathlete, but she found that triathlon is not where her heart rests, and she is a yogi. At the age of 12, she began her journey in the dojo. Having no children's program left her practicing with adults at a young age, and no doubt had a massive influence on her progress. At the age of 15, she explains the extreme outdoor training that she endured as a part of her practice. We dive into meditation and the different styles and traditions that she has studied, moving back from Japanese tradition all the way to India, where it all began. And she shares the event in her life that forced her to go deeper in her practice in order to heal, which ultimately led her to her first teacher, a woman who she, unbeknownst to her, was already connected with, showing us once again the perfection of the divine timeline when the breadcrumbs are picked up and followed. Erica is an animal ambassador and a vegan who has exhausted her nutritional path, having been vegan, not vegan, vegan again, not vegan, and vegan again. This time, we think it's forever. She's very passionate about aligning her actions with her values and philosophical beliefs, but she's open to assist anyone no matter where they are in their path. She opens up about the difficulties of living amongst so much homelessness in New York City and the work that she is called upon to do every day in order to navigate the realities of what she is witness to. Erica is for sure living the awake and ready life. And if you enjoy our conversation today, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. This month, we'll be giving away three pairs of two times you compression run socks to three randomly picked January reviewers. I've been running in these babies lately and not only are they super comfy, I feel like they're really playing a big part in my ability to hit it day after day. So thank you everyone who left a review so far and congrats to Mark who won the December giveaway and is now the proud owner of a two times you transition bag. Sweet, that is over $100 value right there. So we are so grateful for the support Your reviews help so much with our rankings in iTunes, and we believe in you guys to show up for us as we show up for you. All right, one more super awesome piece of news. I want to welcome Deepthi and Rachel to the Yogi Triathlete team. These ladies have some major 2018 goals, and we are psyched to have been chosen as their guides. Deepthi is going to kill it at Oceanside 70.3, and we'll be prepping Rachel to torch the Chicago Marathon course next fall. Rachel joined us for our first high-vibe retreat, and I guess you could say that it left her wanting more. We couldn't be more honored to have their energy on our team. If you've been thinking about training with us, we do have spaces left, so shoot over an email and let's get the convo started. It is never too soon to begin mastering your life and your sport. And speaking of getting the convo started, let's get on with my conversation with Ms. Double Black Belt, Super Ninja Warrior Queen, Erica Michener. I was first introduced to you when you weren't even here when I was in your home over a year ago interviewing your man yeah. and he was saying you gotta interview my woman she's so badass and so and then we connected on social and we've been in touch and we tried to hook it up in California yeah like a few months ago and that didn't happen mm-hmm. um, but now I'm here and I'm back yeah. in New York and uh, so here we are I'm psyched to have you here Thanks for having
0: yeah. me on your podcast. I'm really excited. Yeah, and usually John does all the talking. Eh? You know, I know I to talk today. Well, it was <laughs> funny because
1: because you were saying like, well, he'll be back from tour. Let's do it Monday. Like, if you want to do both of us, and I was like, okay, that'd be great. That'd be fun if he's around. But then I'm like, we're never no. gonna get your story no. out if he's yeah. around. And we love him, but I'm like, we're never gonna get your story. Yeah. <laughs> So I, we're referring to John Joseph McGowan, who is on our podcast. I think he's like podcast 21 and definitely a pod favorite as he normally is on yeah, everybody's. I don't swear everybody's.
0: as much as him at all. But so. you can say whatever you want.
1: <laughs> How did you guys meet? That's a question that I have. Oh,
0: oh God. You know, <laughs> there's a long story and then a medium story and a short story. The short story is, is I met him when I was living in Santa Barbara. And he had um, been out there on tour and this was 2011 and he had started doing these Nike running camps and Nike asked him to do as like an ambassador. So this was like right when that sort of ambassadorship stuff mm-hmm. started happening with social media and they had reached out to him and like Brendan Brazier to do these like little running camps. It was also kind of when actually on Facebook, if someone invited you to an event, you saw it and you would go because you weren't like inundated with 50 <laughs> events a day. So this is how the stars aligned. And I saw the event and I was like, oh, John Joseph from cro is doing this running camp down in Venice Beach. Um, I should I should go. You know, because I'm a fan of the Cro Mags and it's not a show type environment. And, you know, I had been living in Santa Barbara for a number of years working as a personal trainer. So obviously it was a, you know, fitness related thing and there were going to be other people there. And so I, I'm going to go, you know. And I'm, I have, like my mom in my head being like, Erica, you should go, you know. Put yourself out there. Did and make you know? Friends. Did
1: you know about the Chromags before?
0: Because you oh, like yeah, yeah. You like hardcore music. No, oh yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I knew about the Chromags. Like I remember like coming down to New York and like seeing them play at CBs and like you know everybody if you're a hardcore kid on the East Coast or anywhere in the world knows about the Chromex Like <laughs> it's a thing. But so, you never
1: met
0: him. Um. N- well, I no. No. Is that getting so, that start to get into the long story? <laughs> That's the longer version, but we'll just pick up like okay. right here. If in we want to dig in details, we'll ask. Maybe someday I'll actually put like the long version on my own website. Um, <laughs> and I'll let the world know <laughs> about it. So then um, so I go down and I'm like super nervous because I'm just nervous about social situations in general and I don't really know anybody. And I was apparently the first person to show up. And it was just me and him in the parking lot in Venice Beach. And I'm like, hey, like trying to be super cool, like super cool girl, like fitness, like music, you know, like. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. So we just started talking and like we just sort of like hit it off right away. He's so charming and he just makes you just feel at ease when you're around him. Like anyway, so. Then only one other person shows up. Nobody came, so it's just me and John Joseph from the Chromags, and this other guy, Matt Resignio, who actually you'll know from Strong Hearts, and he's a vegan registered dietitian, so he's actually really well known in the vegan community. But he's also an old hardcore kid too. And it was the three of us, so we like ran Venice Beach. Worked out. John, like, had me, like, lead the workout. So I was, like, okay. And then, like, Matt had to go because he was, like, leaving for some cross-country, like, bike trip the next day, like, cycling. And then it was just me and John. And he was, like, we're going out to eat. And I'm, like, okay. <laughs> and then, from then on it it secretly turned into, like, a date. Like, this is not my life. I came down to hang out with, like, 30 people and go for a run. And I'm sitting across from the table with John Joseph, like, chatting about life. And he is obviously, like, a, a, you know, perfect gentleman. But there was, like, you know when, like, you're a female and your radar goes off a little where you're, like, "Uh, are you trying to put, like, not the moves? Like, wasn't trying to, like, you know, like. Had me, like, stay in L.A. for the night. He was just being, like, more of a gentleman than I had kind of expected. So I was like, okay. So he was a little <sighs> suspect
1: <Yeah>. to you. <laughs> That's so funny. And he was probably like, this is awesome. I'm on a date with this <laughs> girl. And you're like, I thought it was just going to work out so and, like, So now we joke home. about it
0: because he's like, oh, no, I stalked you on Facebook and I wanted to, like, meet you anyways. And I was so like, did oh. he already know about you? So he comes clean about the fact that, like, he had, like, kind of – Seen my pictures on Facebook about, like, me doing martial arts or karate and stuff like that. And was like, who's this girl?
1: So it was a perfect world when it was just you that showed up. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. And so, but he knew of you before you guys met. Well, yeah.
0: Is that what you're saying? Because Facebook.
1: But that's so interesting that that yeah. that yeah you meet up and, like, only this other one guy. It's per, it was perfect. Yeah. It was a perfect combo. <laughs> and you guys have been together ever since. Yeah. How was, many years ago was that? That was...
0: Seven years ago?
1: I love it. So that was seven years ago. So you've been on quite a journey with him.
0: Yeah. That was before he even, like, had done any of his Ironmans. He was still like, I'm going to do an Ironman someday. And I was like, what the fuck is an Ironman? Like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I like, label myself, like, the Ironman girlfriend. Like, Be- I've been there since, you know, the first one he did in New York. And, like, he's done Kona twice now, so...
1: And you just did you just do was it your first one? Was the New York Triathlon your first one? Um, I did a
0: triathlon sprint, uh, not this summer, but the summer before that, um, to just kind of try it out and see how it would go. We, I did that with my best friend, and we did it in Massachusetts, um, at Hopkinton State Park. Oh, yeah, and I you know that. Um, yeah, it was really great, excellent, well run, and so it's like, okay, I definitely want to commit to doing a full triathlon next year. So when I was a little bit on the fence, but uh, one evening we were out to dinner with Jean and his girlfriend, Suzanne. Am I saying her name right? Oh, I'm I think names. it's...
1: I think it's yeah. Suzanne. Yeah. yeah. Pretty sure.
0: And and he was like, so how do you feel about doing another triathlon for the farm sanctuary? And I'm like, I can't say no to Jean. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, sign me up. He's the sweetest <laughs> like, guy. So if you're going to do it, do it for a cause, you know, because... It was a hard training process for me, and if I had just been some solo triathlete run without a team or without a cause to raise money for, I probably might have quit, I got to admit.
1: Well, I love it, you know, and you actually had texted me yesterday. We're pretty transparent on the show, but you had texted me yesterday kind of like, well, I did this triathlon, and I actually, I don't think it's for me, and like, do you still want to have me on the show? And I love that because that's like life, and I, you know, Yogi Triathlete was – Something that I was, like, in, I don't even want to say it was my brainchild. It was a download that came in from a higher source, like, a long, long time ago. And in the height of me being a triathlete, nobody knew about Yogi Triathlete. And now that people like, Yogi Triathlete has all this momentum, guess who just sold her tri bike? Me. Oh, and so, did? yeah, and it's so weird because it's like, oh, my God, now, like, what what's happening? I want to be so transparent with it like it's not filling my heart like it did oh
0: that's so interesting that you like said that it's not filling your heart because when I was thinking about it was like how do I explain to you how I feel about it I was like I did it and I'm really proud I did it and I was super stoked for a whole week but I didn't have a heart connection with it ultimately and so without like I love to swim in the pool if I want to go for a swim And I love to ride my bike. I I could see myself doing a bike race. I hate running. (laughs) As a personal (laughs) trainer, I'm so sorry for everyone who's like, let's run. I'm like, maybe I'll do a 5K after that. F off. Like, like the 10K for me in that race was like a fucking huge deal. Like, I was so dramatic about the whole thing. And, like, during the training process about running, but then – Ironically, the run was my favorite part during the race. <laughs> that's awesome. Even though I hate running. It is. I mean, well,
1: I mean, and there's something about a triathlon that's so fun. And I don't want people to think like it doesn't fill my heart anymore. It doesn't fill my heart anymore in a way where, where, I'm out there and I'm doing the six-hour bikes on Saturday to do like Ironman, like weekend after week. What fills my heart now is working with athletes in in the capacity of teaching them mindfulness and meditation, and that fills my heart not because I've chosen it, but I feel like it was this perfect progression of like I've spent the last twelve years of my life training and racing, Ironmans, half Ironmans, marathons, all of that, and really testing out how you can have this yoga mindset and mm-hmm. have the benefits of meditation on the mindset of an athlete and everything. Yeah. And I just feel, I felt like this, I did my last half iron, or just the last one I did was in May of this year and I had so much fun and I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I had an awesome run for me. And I just was like, this, I'm, I just felt like when I crossed that finish line, I was like, okay, that's it for a time while. To,
0: it's time for you to evolve. Yeah.
1: And so, yeah. unlike you, I found like this new love for running. And so I'm doing more like focusing on more like ultra marathon distance. Good and for you. Yeah. I'm happy for you. And I, I <laughs> genuinely
0: find happiness for other people's happiness in endurance sports, obviously, because I live with someone who's like obsessed with right. Iron Man's. Like he is <laughs> the definition of. The dude in his 50s who's like, eats, leaves, and breathes Man. I love it. I totally support him and everybody else that like finds their heart connection through that endurance training and can like process their demons through it. But for me personally, ultimately it was it had a lot to do with me always wanting to do it. I did a sprint. I did the full-length one, the yeah, Olympic. And then it's like, I did it. I proved myself I can do it. I applied, like you said, my meditation techniques and my mindset training to the training process. I wanted to quit really bad. I didn't. (laughs) And I fucking crossed that line and got that medal.
1: That's awesome.
0: And like, now, okay, I'm going to be a better trainer for my clients because I put myself in this situation where I was like, fuck this shit. But I'm doing it anyways because I committed to doing it, and I know I can do it, and I'm not going to listen to, like, the negative voices in my head. I'm going to apply, you know, my, like, my mindset techniques, my, you know, that mental power to get through this. Like, you can do this. And And so because I put myself and walk in that shoe, I say, okay, well, next time I have someone as a client that says... Oh, you know, I'm thinking about doing a triathlon. I can honestly say in my heart center, okay, I can coach you on this. Like, I haven't done a lot of them, but I've done it enough to know I can lead you through this process. It may not be pretty, but I'll get you over that line, just like everybody in my life got me over the line. So.
1: Yeah. And I think that um, like your experience of doing it is now going to allow you to be a a better, a more skillful coach. (laughs) and that's just what i feel like for me to focus on what my what like my higher being is saying like you need to focus on right now i can't be out there doing 6 hour bikes every saturday yeah. and training 20 hours a week because frankly like athletes are programs to write yeah right it's, and a- a athletes thing, yeah. want they want this and and so i need to show up for them and i feel like i've spent so much time on the race course in in training Really testing out these techniques and how you can use the mind, and so anyway, it's like it's not that I don't that triathlon's not filling me up; it's filling me up in a new way. Yeah. So I want to ask you: You're
0: going from student to teacher. Yes. Like it's like an analogy. Like so, for those of you who don't know, the reason why John says I'm such a badass <laughs> is, and like I I do my emoji eye roll. Is because I grew up doing martial arts since I was 12. So I know it's something we wanted to bring up on the podcast. So I started training in a very traditional Japanese dojo. Um, I was tall for my age. There was really no kids program. So I got put in the adult class when I was 12. What <laughs> like brought you Going to- through puberty. <laughs> and then training with, like, dudes who are, like, hardcore show people who are doing karate, jujitsu, weapons – I didn't even speak for, like, the first year because I was so scared. But then ultimately, like, I got pretty good at it, really bonded, like, with my sensei and my teachers, and it just became my path in life physically, mentally, and spiritually. And so being very young at a formative age and being pretty much, I see, you know, obviously my mother and my father raised me, but I was, like, raised in my dojo. Like, I could have cared less about school. And the only other thing I cared remotely about was music, punk rock music. It was, like... Okay, I'll go to school, but then it's like I'm either at the dojo or I'm at a hardcore show.
1: So, so what brought you? Like, what brought you to martial arts at such a young age?
0: Oh, uh, my mother knew somebody um, through the office that she worked in that trained at this dojo, and she knew <laughs> that i had the biggest crush on Ralph Macchio from the Karate kids since <laughs> I was six years old. <laughs> To this day, John still knows, like, I'm like, you know, he's my number one. And I finally got to meet him because he did a show, like, on Off-Broadway, like, two years ago. And I was dying because it was a super small theater. And his character came out, and he sat right next to me in the theater. And I'm, like, dying in my seat. I'm like... (gasps) Like almost having a heart attack because so I'm like freaking oh, Ralph Macchio sitting next to me. Like I could see so many famous people and I won't tell you the names of people obviously I rubbed elbows with like because I have some great associations now and like I'm just like yeah whatever hey what's up dude but I'm just like.
1: But Ralph Macchio is, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole other situation.
0: I mean, like, that from the 80s knows what I'm talking about.
1: Oh, my God. So totally. then it
0: just, something just clicked on my mom's head, and I was kind of a spaz when I was a kid. And, like, she's like, you have to get your energy out. And she just signed me up, and she, like, made me go. And I was like, "Oh, I don't want to
1: go. So what was the turning <laughs> point? Oh, uh, the turning point Like, was, what, when you, all of a sudden, you were like, I'm either at the dojo or I'm at hardcore or... Well, it
0: if- it's interesting because it's, when you're learning martial arts at that age, um, everything's awkward and you're not really good at it, but through repetition, you, you start to build the skill. And once you build the skill, you get like a sense of power behind like your kicks or your punches, whatever you're doing, and you get positive feedback from your instructors, and then that just sort of builds and builds and builds to the point where like they kind of realize like, oh, you're, you're kind of good at this. You know, and when you're young and you realize you're like good at something and like people are telling you you're good, but in a very humble way, because it was a very traditional school. It was like, well, we can tell you that you're good, but only after you've done this kata like a fucking zillion times and we've told you that it was shitty. And now maybe you'll get like, oh, that looked very good. You know, your sensei tells you that you're like, you know, it like means the world. And then. That was it. It was just something just clicked. So I was hooked.
1: Did, was it the, um, like it's a, it's, it's like a pretty hardcore discipline. Yeah.
0: I cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like I was, like I'm thinking about almost I should make a memoir of it because like there was this training that we would do in October called the Gashuku. And a gashuku is a traditional Japanese uh, term for what's considered outdoor training in the winter or in the ocean or in in the forest. And you put your body through like an extreme test. So you go from training inside to training outside. And so I was like 15 and we would go up to Maine. I was with my dojo members, you know, for the whole weekend away from my parents and home and we would sleep on the dojo floor and at four o'clock in the morning get woken up with pots and pans being banged over our head so apparently I mean I don't know because this is what I'm just used to apparently they actually do that like in military boot camp
1: yeah (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) and then you get to wake up (laughs) You're, don't, you're sure you know military boot camp? No. <laughs> you wake up at the crack of dawn, like three hours before the sun of you comes up, and you go out to the beach and you run the beach. And then, as the sun is rising, you do your karate kicks, like your techniques in the water, like push ups in the water, kicks in the water. And I was a brown ball at that point. And when you're a higher rank, you're expected to go up above your waist. And, like, keep training because you're hiring. And it's October in the ocean <laughs> yeah. in Maine. I was so cold when I got out of the water that my hands wouldn't work. And I couldn't get my, like, ghee like, off. And I was soaked, like, outside. But this is, like, my normal at, like, 15. And then, of course, just, like, all the training in the dojo where, like, y- you're just is like, that common getting, like, like kicked and punched so and, like was this you yeah this is normal. Working. like any traditional karate cop person even if they're female and young would be like oh yeah that's normal
1: that's so funny because yeah, yeah. that's not what, so, what we like so but <laughs> is this you on your journey to getting your because john said you're like a double black belt. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. know what the hell that means, but no, I'm getting an that, idea like, of how badass you are and <laughs> I don't want to no. piss you off. No, no, no. <laughs> Cause you're so sweet.
0: No, it just, well, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. No, a black belt is just, you know. What does good. it take to get a black belt? <laughs> it just it make, you can't quit. <laughs> like, and y- you have to have good technique and be very respectful and be very humble and, you know, just keep training hard. You know, so you have like Everybody's a- capable of doing it, but it, in, in a good school, it should take you minimum four years. Minimum. And when did you earn your first black belt? Oh, no, it was, I was 17. So, so I took from for- age 12 to 17. A little bit longer because I think they held off because I was young and they didn't want to give me a black belt too young and hadn't earned it yet. So I have a black belt in karate. And then my school also taught jiu jujitsu. And so I have also a equivalent black belt rank in jiu-jitsu. How but, do those two arts differ? Oh, um, well, the karate, I mean if you're layman's terms, it's um standing kicks, punches, you're gonna do a kata. You know, What's a kata? A kata is moving meditation. Kind of like, you know, when you mm. see the guys doing the tai chi where yeah. they're just like flowing. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. But it's very flowy. Or you see the kung fu monks in Asia doing, mm-hmm. you know, in China doing their techniques. But then also in karate, like that form is called a kata. It's almost
1: like a, so, like a prostration yeah. of like... Buddhism or something, you know, how they do the prostrations, like they'll do like the moving meditation type thing or no? No, it's not. It's <laughs> it <To> correct you? <laughs> no, that's good. I will tell you. No, incorrect. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be right.
0: A kata is you are practicing a fight. Okay. Sequence. So you're... Pre- so the application of kata is called bankai, when then you have people surrounding you, attacking you, and you do the techniques, that practical application of the technique of the downward block, of the punch, of the, of the strike that you were doing to the air, but now you are applying it to a human who is attacking you. Mm-hmm. So. Did you watch the
1: karate?
0: Game? <laughs> no, I'm totally like picturing like the final Mr. round Mi- scene. Mr. Miyagi and Daniel Sam like on the beach yes. practicing kata. Yes, okay, yeah. that's
1: what I'm picturing. Right, but right. Miyagi didn't make him do push-ups in waist-deep water.
0: Well, he had I think him that angry. no, he did. No, he had him like. <laughs> Dude, there was some beach scene. Or, there was some beach scene. <laughs> <laughs> get your Karate Kid history straight. I love I a you, whole podcast. you get to meet. I could do
1: a whole podcast a about Karate and Kid. and the Karate Kid. <laughs> we hope to um, this. <laughs> and then, and jiu is, it's like the grappling, it's right? It's grappling of it. So essentially every
0: fight is going to end up on the ground. Or you don't want it to, but it could go there. So what's the point of knowing all these kicks and punches If someone's gonna grab you and your fight ends up on the ground, well, you're not gonna know what to do. So now you have that groundwork. Or in the style that I was taught, Aiki Jiu Jitsu, it's referred to as dirty street fighting, where you're really learning a lot of like the techniques of this may look like just a closed hand simple technique, but what it really means is you're gouging the person's eyes out before they hit the ground, that kind of stuff, or pressure points that will subdue, um, I mean, just simple things like... You're doing... You were just about to do something I me. know. Well, I could just damage <laughs> Do you want to subdue me? So... So this is a really so I'm taking the palm of your hand right now and I'm taking your thumb and I'll do this very gently. Okay. But this is something <laughs> I that you. I'll teach women in self defense if they can get this right, where you just go like that. Well, oh, you're very flexible. You go like this. Oh yeah. And it hurts. Yeah. So I took your thumb and I just like pushed it in. Yeah. You're a yogi and you have good
1: joints. I was a massage therapist for a long time too. Oh yeah. I bet so that's
0: it. I'd have to push a little bit harder, but. Yeah, I can feel that. There's like so right right in there, like it's like
1: jamming up that saddle joint. Yeah, and
0: then even like this. Ow, (laughs) (laughs) that one hurt. And that literally took me like no effort, and you're just like, yeah,
1: interesting.
0: I mean, but then you learn all that little stuff. But then also you learn like you know how to do arm bars and chokes and submissions and throws. Like I know all the traditional. So you're pretty well equipped. Yeah. But through that, like I learned all the mindset training. So this is sense, what I want to get into. So, so yeah. this is like so this is a segue to like, okay, we could talk about karate and jujitsu and judo chocolate. I chop, can still feel that on day. my thumbnail. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fine.
1: Massage now. <laughs> She's gonna do it again. We talk about judo chops someday, but <laughs> if you're
0: in a good dojo, what they're teaching you is meditation. So before every class and at the end of every class, you sit in mock so you sit. And you meditate, just like how a Zen monk meditates. You sit on your knees and you put your hands on your knees Mm -hmm. and you have a very straight back Mm -hmm. and you're you're taught to close your eyes. Now, I know different meditation techniques now where you're sitting, you're very open and your eyes are open and your gaze is down. That's a different technique. But the first technique that I was introduced to was Zazen, like in a traditional Zen way because it's... Zen is, you know, associated with martial arts because it's just like peanut butter and jelly. So it just all comes together, you know. So by the time I was 16, I was like meditating for fun. And all I cared about was reading books about, you know, Miyamoto Musashi and like ancient Japanese philosophers. And I went on to um, study Japanese in college and I lived in Japan and study Japanese philosophy. So, like, I made that, like, my path, life, my life's path. Because if I wasn't going to be in the dojo training, all I cared about was studying, like, the philosophical aspect of it to life. And then probably when I was, like, 25, I was a teacher for a couple of years or trying to be. And I just hated it. And I was like, oh, what do I do with my life, you know? And I was like, I was just so happy teaching karate. Like, and I was at work, and one of my friends was like, well, you should look into school to be a personal trainer. And it's just like, like a light just went off in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I might not be able to, to have my own dojo right now or teach karate again right now. I'm not a trained do. I've been already teaching martial arts and, like, teaching conditioning classes to adults and kids for – I have all that experience under my belt. I just have to get my certification and apply everything that I did from the dojo – physically and spiritually to like, you know, my clients. So that's that's what that's what I try and do for my life.
1: No, I love that. And, and and it's like we consider it like we can we consider what we do at Yogi Tratley is like holistic performance. And yeah. I feel like that that holistic type of performance and coaching is is on the rise, which is wonderful because yeah. there's people like us that have been doing it for a long time. And, uh, and we're the people to go to, people like us and Erica and um, like our guests that we just launched today. We, we were recording this on Monday and we just, we just launched somebody today, which I would consider to be a holistic coach as well. So they're teaching you these, these mind skills and you're meditating like before and after when you're in the dojo. But what is the – like I'm – Making an assumption that the message is that yeah. you're you're going into these fights, you call them fights.
0: Oh, oh, do you mean like in, in, the dojo. in karate? Yeah, it's sparring or karate. Yeah. Okay, so when you
1: go into this, you're going <coughs> into them like with a calm mind.
0: Oh yeah, so the practical application of that is called mush, mushin, mind of no mind. So a yogi would refer to that as samadhi. Anybody can experience this. You don't have to be a martial artist, but it's when you've trained in something for so long and so, many, so much repetitive work. So, for example, in karate, you're, the basic thing that you're taught first is a punch, right? You have to stand at a wall, and you have to do this thousands of times. You begin class doing it, and you're a black belt, and you're still standing at a wall punching. You have to do it over and over and over and over and over again to the point where it just becomes so ingrained in your muscle memory that you don't have to think anymore, and your brain is not called upon to do this technique so that when you are called upon in a moment of someone, in theory, like wanting to attack you, you can respond without having to think because that moment that you think too much is when you will lose the fight.
1: Well, and I think it's the moment that you think too much is also the moment where the emotion comes in. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's ego. Thinking is ego, and ego is emotion. So you're taking all that out of the equation. So motion is mind of no mind. So you'll be able to move without any thought in your brain. And so what happens is, is, going back to the example of Akata, It's considered moving meditation in martial arts because you do this kata so many times that when you go to do it, you are not there. You are just, your body is just representing this form. And it just, you can tell the difference between someone who's thinking too much doing a kata and someone who just knows it so well that they're not even having to think about it at all. They're just one with that. And they're able to tap into, like, this other consciousness. So, for example, in yoga, that would be a yogi who's just has their flow down so much that, you know, even just a, probably a basic sun salutation, you do over and over and over and over and over again. Now, in a regular yoga class, if you came into a yoga class and your yoga teacher said, we're going to do sun salutations for an hour and a half straight, I guarantee you almost every person would fucking leave that room. We were
1: just talking about this. But
0: listen to this. You go into a karate class, and your teacher says, stand in kibirachi, which is horse riding stance, face a wall, and we're going to do four moves the entire class, and you do it. And that is,
1: like. Why is the discipline so different, do you think? (laughs) Well, I I think... Well, it's not. In
0: India, like, you would do the sun salutations. I think it's just in America we have to... You have to um, modify and apply the teachings to what people are ready for. And not everybody in America is ready to go into yoga class and do five moves for an hour and a half straight, super hardcore. You know, they just read about yoga in some, like magazine that's super mainstream and they don't want some hardcore things so you have to just give them the little bit version of it but then if it connects with their soul they'll stick with it for a really long time and maybe someday that one person out of like a hundred people in that yoga class will end up in India someday like really into like a deep meditation yoga practice that's like so far deeper than they ever imagined when they stepped into that first class. And it's the same way with, like, martial arts. Do you know how many people walk into a karate class being like, I'm going to get my black belt, and they never make it? There's a very, very high dropout rate for black belts. I mean, for just martial arts to, like, get to black belt. And then even in martial arts, you are taught when you get your black belt, guess what? You just started. Oh, now your journey begins. That's what you're told when you, you get your black belt congratulations. You can start learning now.
1: We, Valerie and I was, I don't even think I've introduced you, Valerie. We're all like huddling around one mic, but um, Valerie is my yogi friend from Rhode Island and my step-in co-host while BJ's back in California. We were just talking about this this morning that advanced yoga is not like all these fancy sequences and doing something different every time and I really like a fun flow and like yeah. all that shit. It's Advanced yoga is you come to my class and for an hour we're going to fold and we're going to rise and we're going to fold and we're going to rise Yeah. and advanced yoga within that simple movement is seeing that every single element and moment of that rise and that fold is new and it's full of wonder and it's curious.
0: That's exactly how karate is too. Yes. We have made the connection.
1: (laughs) It's just, I think it's been lost in just the Western way that we, and you know, it's, I'm so torn on it because part of me is like, part of me is like, there's so much yoga in California, in Southern California. And I swear to God, it's been like going to like a circus. Sometimes, like I've never left a yoga class with a headache. Let me tell until you. I, yeah, le- I until tell I went you to California. About some karate schools that are just
0: like yeah. You know, so I think it's, it's like the, the same, same thing. thing. It's watered down. It's yeah. Like, it's but pra- you know just to get people in the door. You know and you're just like oh and you know but there are still really traditional schools out there. You just have to find them. You know. But I also sure like yoga's
1: a lot like that too. Yoga's a lot like that, and so where I'm torn <clears throat> is it's also like. What is my goal as a yoga teacher? I mean, I know, like, I've got, like, lots of different tiers and, and all of that. But, like, the most basic goal I have is roll out that mat and get on the mat. Yeah. And get away from your phone and get away from all the things that you think are real and they're not. And so if that's an access point for somebody, like, if their access point is so different than mine, maybe just in that class, they feel their legs for the first time and. Five years, you know what I mean? So it's like I'm torn because I think the idea of advanced yoga has been so lost in the gymnastics of it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But as long as I know what's true for me and that I can enter into each class as a teacher without judgment and seeing that everybody's coming in in a different entry point and being okay with I think it's that neutrality you know rising above in that higher vibration it's it's so cool because I've never I've never had this kind of in-depth conversation about martial arts and it's very much like the yogic tradition like it's it's in even like the techniques of the mind and how do we like train our mind all of these techniques and the moves and everything are very 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 basic and simple it's you, all about going back to the basics. It's all about going, it's be, yeah. going back to where, from, from where we came is essentially, right? Isn't that our goal is to kind of get yeah. back to who we are and where we came from. I have a question about like yeah. you growing up yeah. and you're like in this dojo and you're yeah. reading like these ancient, like <laughs> Japanese spirituality so texts, text, yeah, text. yeah, like I, yeah, what is going year. on? Like with your, yeah. what is your life like in school? Like what is oh. your social or did you just not even care about that?
0: Well, you know, I, I'm kind of a natural introvert. You're so. such an old soul. <laughs> well, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's something going on. I, <laughs> I've i met some old souls, so, but I, you know, I have some, I do say I have some interesting karma in this lifetime. <laughs> there are things <laughs> like ripening that are like really fucking interesting. Then some of them are really traumatic and some of them are like really sad and like hmm like really unbelievably hard to deal with but then some of them are just so like oh, how fortunate okay well I mean my life was like any other kid I mean you know I had to wake up at like quarter six in the morning get to school by seven fifteen, trudge through the day try and get good grades I was an honor student by the skin of my teeth I would go to work after school I worked at like this little children's programs. I worked with little kids and I loved kids and always worked with them. And then I would try and sneak in some homework, eat, and then around seven o'clock it was time to go to the dojo. But if I was teaching, I had to be there at like 5.30 to open. I got there at 5.30 and taught from 5.30 to 6.30 and talked to the parents. And then it was like either I took the adult class or I would help teach part of the adult class because the upper ranks were considered I'm very vital to teaching the lower ranks. So, you know, we would all do our warm-ups and, like, our basics. And then if there were white belts in the class, I would go off and with them with a separate group and start teaching them and then come back to class. And then after that class is over, we would have advanced class, which was just for the upper ranks to actually – then it was us, like, really practicing our katas that were higher ranks. So we would just get our sensei's focus on that – more advanced technique. By the weekend, I was so tired. And if I was lucky, I'd like go see some of my favorite bands. And that was it. That was my life. <laughs> it was great. And it's kind of still my life now, <laughs> which is awesome.
1: Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And I do think you are an ancient soul. And I know that there's older souls than us out there. But just the fact that we're, like, talking about this and that you've met these old souls, like, yeah. just says something about, you know, the vibration of your, of your own being. So you had just mentioned karma. Yeah. And so karma to me feels very, like, Buddhist, like India, like yoga. <laughs> How... What is the philosophy of that through like the Japanese martial arts and like the, the soul or, or what, it, I don't know what they refer to it as. I became a, like a backwards
0: philosopher. So because I grew up in a Japanese dojo, I was taught Zazen and Zen meditation. Um, and I read everything that had to do with Zazen and Zen meditation. And that was, I had binders on. That was my beginning and my end. I was so obsessed that it was just like, how do I go live in Japan? (laughs) And I made it happen twice, you know what I mean? Like, I manifested a lot of cool shit. I never thought about India or yoga because everything that I needed spiritually and physically, I was fulfilled by martial arts and meditation in that concept. But what happened was when I was about 25, I went through a really hard breakup, a friend of mine suggested that I learn meditation. He was a meditator, a practitioner through a, a Tibetan tradition. And so I was like, oh, well, yeah, I know meditation. But I didn't have a teacher and I didn't have a sangha. I, I had nothing. It was just me sitting in my room alone doing what I had done since I was, you know, 10 years ago. And that wasn't getting me where I needed to be because I was going through a lot. So I needed more. And so I went to this meditation center in Boston, which taught meditation, shamatha meditation, from a traditional Tibetan point of view. And I was, like, blown away because when I talk about karma ripening, and this is a long roundabout answer to how I think about karma, is that there's a publication called Shambhala Publications. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know it, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody knows Shambhala publications, right? Like, half of my books on my shelf about karate and martial arts were from Shambhala publications, right? So my friend goes, you should go to this center. And I looked it up online. It was called the Shambhala Center. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I'll go check it out. They have the same name as the books that I read. I had no idea it was actually, like, the meditation center of the, the publicists. And that it was like a whole community. And I go, and like my second time there, the the woman who started Shrimbala Publications in the sixties, who learned meditation from Choga Trumpa Rinpoche, who came to the United States in the sixties, was like, I could be your meditation teacher. And I was like, What? <laughs> like, I'm like, I have your books on my shelf. You started that publication company. And I was like, you don't understand, like, you, this is like a huge deal for me. The term would be auspicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My big word when I was 25 or 26, <laughs> I loved to throw around was, oh, how auspicious. <laughs> you know, I started learning Tibetan meditation and from like, you know, the Indian masters. And so they, it's interesting because the student, like, the teachings appear to you when the student is ready. And I was really, really apparently ready at that point in my life to just focus on my mind and my meditation practice. And I had stepped away from the dojo, and I wasn't training that much anymore. But I went down this other pathway. So I backtrack from Japan to Tibet. Well, (laughs) then I meet John a few years later. So I backtrack even further from the Tibetan Yogi Master training to... The Indian masters, and of course, everything that Tibetans learned came from India. So now, my path right now, where I'm studying, is very like Indian based, like yoga. And so now I love my yoga, I love Mahari Krishna mantras, <laughs> like I love Radha Krishna, and it's all very like. Great, because I can go from like talking about Radhakrishna in one sentence to like, oh yeah, sure, we could talk about Japanese samurai too, and I can tell you how they're all connected.
1: Did (laughs) they? Yeah, but, d- like, does it all come from the Indian yogic philosophy? Yeah. It Every, all, it's all born. In, it yeah, Everything
0: comes from India. Because,
1: it's you know. It's so mysterious. It's it's auspicious. Well, it's, it's auspicious. So I went through an auspicious stage. When I went to <laughs> India, like, I came back and I was like, that was my new word. Everything was auspicious. Oh, it was so auspicious of you. <laughs> so it, it – uh, and that's the thing. It all boils down in – so a lot of people will ask me, like, well, what kind of meditation do you – do you – um do you practice, and what's your lineage, and blah blah blah, yeah. blah, and all this stuff? I get that throughout the years, and everybody but
0: wants to give you one, an- they want to hear just one. They just want to hear like, and so I actually and went like, to Ugh.
1: to my teacher, and I was like, what, what, wh- what, what do I, how do I answer that? And and basically like, I, and Valerie's got the same teacher as I do, he, and I and I really believe he's just from such a pure. Non, He's just like, you practice meditation. Mm. Don't get caught up in what mm. the name of it is or what the yeah. lineage is and all this stuff. He's like, because all of it yeah brings you it brings you to the same to the place. Path. And what's your goal? Okay, samadhi. All right, good. Yeah, well, then exactly. stop worrying about what the label is 100%. and just do the
0: work. 100%. Right now, if we look up on our bookshelf, so we have the Bhagavatam, which is like the most ancient text in India the, the oldest like there's all like text. the volumes the volumes and- yeah. yeah there's like 20 something volumes it's a whole thing so I'm working my way through reading the Bhagavatam and John can like read the Sanskrit and pronounce it because he actually like, lived in the temples in India and I can mispronounce every word and like stumble my way through it like I'm a first grader and he's just like blah 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 and explains it all and so I'm working my way through that right now and I'm telling you, like on every page, it's like I've heard this all before. So I'm reading the Bhagavatam for the first time, but I'm like, oh, yeah, well, when I was 15 and reading Zen and the martial arts, it's like this and like that. And they, and it transformed in their culture as this teaching and that. And so it's just all just feels like home to me. And once you realize that, when someone asks you, Oh, what do you study? What's your lineage? I try and really hard not i'm not gonna put them down for asking such a, a, a simpleton question, but people who have really dug deep in their spiritual path know that it's not such a simple answer
1: no, and it's not about it's not about a label and yeah. there's not one that's better than the other right. Along the lines of what you were just saying, the Bible too. I've mm. done like a little bit of study of the Bible, not a ton. Mm. But like, well, we all know that Jesus was a yogi. Oh, and yeah, what a lot totally. of people Jesus
0: totally lived in India. Yes! And I love reading. That's all what the I was just Jesus gonna say.
1: Stuff. And I was raised in the Lutheran church. Like
0: I was I went to church. People don't camp. know. I know all about the Bible. I was raised like with On cheese and crackers on every Sunday going to church, I was confirmed. You know, it wasn't like a hardcore Catholic thing. Lutheranism is like the badass Protestants that like started the Reformation. So right. we're like the punk rockers that were like, fuck you, Roman Catholic Church. Like, stop doing this bullshit. We're all you have to do. You can have a direct connection with God. You don't have to go through the Pope. All this great stuff. One of the best books that I cannot believe I was not introduced to. It. I was like... 30 years old, is Autobiography of a oh, Yogi. Oh, it's the I'm best. I'm embarrassed to say I wasn't given that book until like five years ago. And then all of funny? his teachings about, Yogananda's teachings about, uh, that book is absolutely mind-blowing. And then he connects all the Jesus stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, everything has literally come back to what my parents just wanted me to, to go to church. And for so long, when I got into Buddhism, I was so scared to like, come out as, like, a Buddhist when I was a teenager because they were, like, going to be like, well, you don't believe in Jesus anymore? And I was like, no. And now I'm all like, I love Jesus. He was a yogi, lived in
1: India, case That's closed. Well, that's the but, thing. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't know, and they don't, they don't tell that through – they're never going to say that through the Roman Catholic Church here. No. That he studied he in did. India under the yeah, masters, he and he was such a badass. We were actually talking about him on another podcast, and like we get into this whole conversation about how hot he was because <laughs> he was just like amazing. He was a carpenter, he was a yogi, that long really hair. He was like that. super. I feel like buff. there's a
0: meme in there somewhere, like waiting to come out. <laughs>
1: but yeah, it's um. So okay, to go back to the question of karma, and then I want to move. I want to move into um because we we're cruising on the time here. So my question was, and I think we kind of answered it because we realized that everything is coming from the same pot, which is yeah. just the the infinite knowing. Yeah. Um, but the Japanese, like, what is their equivalent to karma? Do they have a word for it? Do they...
0: Oh, I forget.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but they do. Like, they believe in this. Like, oh, there is this yeah. understanding that our souls are oh, infinite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that it's just the body that we shed.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And that, yeah. There's, nof- and that there's nothing... There's nothing to fear, like, but, we, yeah. but yet we pretend like we go around with this like psychic numbing like we're not going to die, and, like, but we're all yeah. here too. Like there's no better cause of death than birth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I learned all, like, yeah, I was reintroduced to re- the concept of reincarnation through Buddhism and that was one of the things that was like really fascinating. And then the other concept I was introduced to was being vegetarian, yeah,
1: perfect okay. segue, my friend. Think that's what you wanted to get Is into. One of the things I want to talk about. So, yeah, tell Not us how did animals. you get into how did you get into stop eating
0: other beings' bodies? I started being a vegetarian or thinking about wanting to be a vegetarian when I started reading a lot of the Buddhist texts. I just assumed that if you were a Buddhist, it meant that you were a vegetarian. That was obviously naive at that age, but now that I've gotten older, you can call yourself a Buddhist, apparently, and still eat meat, even though, I side note, I don't really think that, but I've had to accept a lot of my Buddhist friends who keep me and Unconditional come up love. You like reasons love. why they think for some reason that it's okay, even though it's not. Anyway, so, yeah, um... Which I file under like their karma and I'm like, okay. I really you do I have to pay that for that karma and it hasn't ripened in this lifetime for you and it's tough, but um that's where I learned about vegetarianism. And the same exact time that I learned about vegetarianism through Buddhism, I was also heavily involved in going to punk rock shows and the punk rock shows uh inter- we're very into animal rights.
1: Why is that so such? Why is were, that such a correlation? Like the hardcore punk and the veganism. It's we spend there. It's so
0: beautiful. Imakai, uh, e. who, who, who is such like this ahimsa, yeah, there within is that. Yeah. So I, I guess I would, if you had to like have a lineage and point it back to someone, it'd be e. Kai from My Inner Threat, who, who was a vegetarian, and so a lot of kids followed suit from that, and then. um you know, they would go to go to grocery stores on tour to get food and hummus, because you couldn't get vegetarian food anywhere else. And then, oh yeah, obviously this guy named John Joseph, who's sanctioned fan called the Chromax, <laughs> who's been around since the early 80s, um, learned about vegetarianism from the bad brains. Mm-hmm. And that saved his ass. Yeah, saved his ass. So uh it all funneled into the hardcore scene as as a a very intricate part mindset of the hardcore scene not everybody in punk rock hardcore was vegetarian but the ones that were let me tell you <laughs> were some of probably the secret ALF people i mean i know i know people that have done a lot of that's the animal liberation. Yeah, animal Liberation like Federation yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> have, you know, freed a lot of animals from mink farms and things like that that they could have ended up in jail for and all sorts of wonderful underground work that had been being done. And, you know, um, I was sitting at a punk rock show and I was like 14 or 15, and the PETA booth was set up. Peta, I was kind of. I hour. think it's pita Anyway, so um and I just sat there, and I was exposed to my first animal slaughter video, and I was like sick to my stomach for two days. And I went home, and I was like, I'm not eating meat anymore. And my parents were like, "Fuck, you don't even like vegetables. What are you gonna eat?" And I'm like, I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs> so that's when I became a vegetarian. I didn't. I wasn't a vegan right away, and then. Um, it's been part of my path since that age. Um, when did the when did the dairy leave your diet? Um, I've I've so this is gonna piss a lot of hardcore vegans off, but I've been vegan and not vegan, and then vegan again, and then not vegan and then vegan again. And I don't care what anyone else says. Hi, like, that so how did I'm not one of I- these people who are like I haven't had a speck of dairy since I was fifteen. Like, listen. Everybody has a different path, respect my path. I'm vegan now. I've been vegan for a long time and it's a good thing and I feel healthy and I'm happy and I'm doing it the right way and I don't have any economic situations that are get, forcing me to eat whatever foods that's that's put in front of me. A lot of it, a lot of my choices were made to not be vegan anymore just because I only had a certain amount of money and If I wasn't going to buy food that week or something and my friends were feeding me pizza and there wasn't vegan pizza, I ate pizza with cheese on it. It It's before social media. It was before the fucking internet really existed. So, like, you were able to make these choices without someone, like, going online the next day being like, I saw Erica eat cheese pizza and then, like, 20 people commenting about it. It was just like... It but it's interesting so because
1: the whole well it's it's different for everyone like for for me it's about it's about living in a it, like ahimsa as much yeah. as I possibly can so causing a, the least amount of harm that I can in this world it started with health and yeah. performance and then of course I learned but It's, you know, it's about progress, not perfection. And, you know, as we know that anything that we see unacceptable in another person is a direct reflection of what we feel and see on some level within ourselves. That's unhealed. That's unacceptable (laughs) that, you know, we have yet to to master, to Mm -hmm. work through.
0: Um, I'm really thankful that I've been strict vegan, not vegan, and gone back and forth because now when I work with my nutrition clients... Who are switching over to a plant based lifestyle? Um, I have a lot of patience and a lot of progress, not perfection mindset with them. And if they're telling me like, "Oh, I went to my friend's party and then I ate this and I had eggs in it," they know I'm not gonna be like, "Oh, that's it. We I can't coach you anymore because you're right. not vegan." Because like, that's that not- shit. That's violent too. Like, Like, now you're judging them.
1: Yeah. You know, and that's not, so it really is, it's about being inclusive. Like, that's, we want to be, and so we use, as much as I would love to just, like, hammer the vegan and use the vegan, like, we use, we use the word plant-based because I want to be inclusive. Can
0: I tell you I had a dream last night about this podcast meeting? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) This is so funny.
1: (laughs) We're we're both of
0: the microphones working? This has to do with (laughs) veganism. Okay? I'm a big dreamer. Like, huge. And so last night I had a dream that you came over to do the podcast.
1: And I was and dressed you, as no, a... No, don't touch
0: me right okay. now. And you had, for some reason, carrying two gallons of milk. Uh, because for some reason you were a vegetarian and not vegan. Okay? And I took the milk... And threw it out and started screaming at you (laughs) about how milk is a result of cows being raped for their, for their milk and how they're forced pregnancies. And like, I was like angry, vegan, all like the terrible videos that you see what happens. I was like yelling at you about it. And I'm sorry.
1: No, I love that this was my dream last night. You and night. I have you and I have karma. <laughs> if we didn't have karma, we wouldn't be sitting here. So
0: I don't know why that I woke up and I and maybe it was just I was like, oh, I know in my head, like in real life, you're definitely vegan, but on <laughs> my subconscious world last night, like. I had to teach you a lesson. And
1: maybe you did in another life. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Because I would say that dairy is one of the things that hurts my heart more than anything. And I'm not. I'm a mom to Clark, who's my my dog. Yeah. But I'm not a a mom in this life to two-legged humans. And but the thought of a mom's yeah. baby, a baby being, being stolen I know. and i was just reading this thing about how the other mother cows in the herd will be next to the mother whose baby was just taken and they'll comfort her and it just it makes my it's heart and, we, and valerie is the mother of 3 so i can't even imagine Carmel. like she's I can't like going to cry imagine. it's Carmel. so heartbreaking and then you see this perfect karmic equation of new human mothers mm. feeding their babies the milk that was supposed to go to another baby know. who's know. either been sentenced to a life of, of rape, rape. and, yeah. and milk and over milking or yeah. veal where they're slaughtered at yeah. the age of like two months. And it's just, it's such a weird karmic equation. And it's something that like, it's so divine that like, I, I just, I don't even want to get involved in that. It's just so crazy to, to watch, but all we can do is live the example. Yeah, And then have like amazing tidbits of information like what we're yeah. just talking about well, come ultimate, out on the show. Yeah,
0: I mean ultimately Such we're a... in this material world. So you so must have taught, maybe you taught like... that to
1: me in another life or something. <laughs> and that's why it hurts my heart so much to think about the dairy industry. Because I was a cheese addict in this life. Oh
0: yeah. God, I love so cheese when I was, yeah, I hated milk when I was a kid. I no, I never liked my milk, milk,
1: but cheese? Cheese or yogurt. But now I dairies, look at it, it's yeah. like coagulated breast Us, milk yeah, it's pus it's mucus secretion it's weird it's all right so but yeah so I mean, you're
0: vegan when I get that angry or when I get that frustrated I just I really just rely on my where I where I where I have evolved personally spiritually and I go oh yeah I'm a spiritual being living in the material world yeah I am subject to the material conditions of the material world which is suffering, ignorance, and passion. And I don't mean passion when you're making out with somebody that you love to make out with, love, passion. I mean like the rage, passion, where like your ego is overcome with emotion that you're blinded by what the nature of reality really is. And those are the laws in the material world. And so I am just having to navigate through that till I'm done here as best I can. How do you And so that's 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 how I get when I take a deep breath and I'm like okay,
1: I'm living in the material world. When you get those moments where you are like charged up yeah. or you're overcome like we were talking about it before the the mic the microphone yeah. before we plugged the mics in about, you know, living in New York City and like seeing people homeless and everything. Yeah. So what is what what kind of mindset do you try and and achieve in those moments so that you can move through the intensities of this life?
0: Oh yeah, um I live in New York City now. This is a very heartbreaking place to live. You know, yeah, it's nice and cleaned up. Everybody thinks cuz it's all chain stores now and banks on every corner and Starbucks, but when you actually live here, you do still see how fucked up everything is here. Um, Heroin and drugs are a major problem. Homelessness is a huge problem. There's probably about five to ten homeless people that have set up camp right outside where I live because there's scaffolding set up. So I walk outside my door every day and I have to walk by people living in cardboard boxes. It's really, really hard. It's very heartbreaking. How I deal with that is um, you just take a deep breath. And sometimes you you really have to, like, honor the fact that it's heartbreaking. Because if you keep trying to push it away, like, you you know, that's not right. Cause like, this isn't right. Like no one should live like that. No one should be on drugs right now. And this person, it's just terrible. I don't know how they ended up here, but this is as good as it gets. So I get angry that they're there, that I have to walk past this every day because it's hard for me. But then the next thought in my head is, Oh my God, this person has nothing and it's cold out and it's rainy And I cannot be angry right now that I have to walk past this. So just maybe I I can bring someone a coffee or maybe I can, like, bring someone some bananas or, like, you know. I mean, there's been times where if you're in a hurry, you have to walk by really fast and you can't pay attention to this um, suffering that you see. But sometimes you have the time to stop and turn around and take someone grocery shopping or buy them a sleeping bag or just something that they know that they need in the moment. That's that's what I try and do to make it a little bit like it's not so difficult for both of us because it's hard for me. Like I'm almost crying right now. So <laughs> everyone's like, oh, you get to live in New York. It's the best thing ever. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like it's so hard some days.
1: Yeah. And it's not because um... it's just like
0: so hard. I mean, you live out in California. So you, you you know that like when I used to live in Santa Barbara, you know what that means living in Santa Barbara and you're just protected from so much. this homelessness snare. there, but it's not as gritty and as hardcore as it is here.
1: It's you, uh, those are the perfect <coughs> words. Like it's gritty and hardcore, and like the the homeless guys. There's like crews of them around different areas, and there's a place where I go running every day, and I run by them, and there's this crew, and I just say good morning, gentlemen, and you know it's always. 60, 70 degrees. Yeah. So it's not like the icy cold. And, you know, and they're like, good, you know, the the sun is shining and we all woke up. And and it's like it's weird because at least the 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 people that I converse with, some of them are, you know, beyond like recognition of like being able to function as a human, but some of them are like in this place of gratitude because they're I, I feel like they're just like it's warm here and I'm not freezing. And but it is it's it's hard to see. And I look at I look at those people and I see their perfection as a divine being. Mm. And I also remember the law of karma, Mm. that everything is a boomerang in this life. And we throw it out and it comes back. And what we don't understand or what we don't consider a lot is that the things that we're experiencing in this life is because we're paying karmic debts from the thousands, (laughs) millions of lives (coughs) that we've already lived. And so I think that what you learned like in that dojo when you were 12, 14 years old about moving through the calm mind is like a calm mind is like the highest treasure that we can have. And I believe that it allows us to, to navigate this life in a way where we have a little bit more clarity and we have more consciousness in our choices. And so that when we know that when we have we can feel when it's put on our mm-hmm. heart to go buy a sleeping bag or get a coffee yeah. or whatever it is but it's it's not and the further you go down this path mm-hmm. and the further that your soul evolves the harder this shit gets like yeah. it's not Isn't easy that funny the how challenges that works. are bigger right it's because
0: i did so much meditation i mean not even as much as my teachers i mean i'm just like very basic with it because i have a tendency to start and stop and not stay consistent so i struggle with that through the glimpses of samadhi that I have come across, your heart really opens. In the Tibetan sense, they call it like the heart of the bodhisattva, which is when you commit to helping all beings, that you can. I'm not saying I'm a bodhisattva, but what you want to do is you want to aspire to the teachers that you know are the bodhisattvas in each situation that you can. And so New York City has really forced me to apply those teachings in the moment, whereas if I had chose to stay somewhere pretty, like in Santa Barbara or safe in the suburbs up in Massachusetts, you are not forced and challenged on a daily basis every time you walk around to have to tap into that. You, I mean, you just aren't. Every once in a while, yeah, someone cuts you off in traffic or they don't use your their blinker, like... My God, that stuff doesn't even like faze me anymore. No,
1: and and that's it's like and that's I had how to deal exactly... with like a homeless
0: guy like walking across like the street half naked, like falling down the other day, and I had to call an ambulance for help.
1: That's like, but you're exactly so, where you are for your <laughs> soul evolution right I know, now. But it's so hard <laughs> it's sometimes. Like, sounds pretty because, gritty. I like mean, you, said. you
0: know, John and everybody wants me to <laughs> love New York so much, and the first year I lived here, I was like. I really struggled mm. and I remember like you see all these shirts that say like I love New York I love New York and I'm an East Coaster and I used to come down here all the time and I always wanted to live in New York but then when you finally do you're like holy shit this is hard work like I am called upon every day to like use these tools that wow. I have been trying to learn and um yeah it's been like three years now since i moved here, three and a half. And um, it's interesting because now when I leave, I want to come back to New York. So I yeah. do love so it in still, a way now. My
1: teacher always says that when you're called somewhere, it's because you've got karma there. Yeah. So you still have karma. And you'll yeah. know that when that's cleared up and when you've burned yeah. that up, and you guys will know. And you'll probably transcend out of here together. I but- have karma in the East Village.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we should There's hurry. nothing
1: wrong about that. I want to get this wrapping up, but I want to yeah. touch upon one other thing, and and that's just the importance of this. We've gone pretty deep, and I love it. I love it so much. But I want to touch on the importance of, like, what we believe in at Yogi Triathlete, of yeah. course, and what you work with with your, with your clients yeah. and, and athletes is, like, where do you stand or how do you incorporate this idea of, like, mindfulness and into – Where do you think the relationship is between like the mindfulness and the athletics, like as as an athlete, as somebody who's trying to better their body, how important it is to incorporate the, the mind training as well?
0: My answer to that is I got my certification as a personal trainer in 2007, so it's been 10 years. I felt confident teaching fitness techniques, and then my clients needed nutrition guidance. So... Having switched back to a plant-based diet, I got my certification in plant-based nutrition through eCornell in 2012, right when the program had just started and Forks and Knives had like just launched and it was like this thing and it was awesome and I had great connections with John and it was just awesome and I was able to incorporate fitness and nutrition because there's still a lot of trainers out there who only do fitness. Now I do fitness and nutrition. Okay. So I felt like that was it. no. It's not it because my clients still struggled. Some of them, not all of them. I was like, oh yeah, now it's mindset. It's the trifecta that I call. I call it the trifecta. So now I've realized as a coach, I am not called upon just to teach you how to do a deadlift. I have to teach you how to do a deadlift. I have to teach you how to do intuitive eating. And I have to teach you some basic mindfulness around those things extend those that mindfulness technique to everyday life and extend it further to your interactions with your people in your life or your job so it's quite a lot but it, the clients that I have that are up for it are just like it all comes it all works together you can't compartmentalize it out i've i've tried so many times to have a client say, Oh, I just want to do nutrition. Okay, well, I'll just do nutrition with you since I you said that's the only thing you wanted. And then two weeks later, I need a workout. Okay. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I knew you were gonna need that. And then two weeks after that, it's like, I'm really having a hard time, like staying consistent in my mind, like and wanting to do the things that I'm saying I wanted to do and I'm not doing it. And I'm like, that's the mindset training. And then in the end I'm like, I'm teaching you all the things that I told you in the beginning we all had to do from the start, but it was just little by little. It's great. I love it.
1: It's it's because we don't selectively, like we don't selectively learn. So by coaching in this holistic way, yeah. you're able to affect the person's whole life. Yeah. And I think that's that's just what the world is is called I, I hate saying like it's what the world needs because that means it makes it seem like I know what the world needs. It's what the world is calling for right mm-hmm. now. It really is. It's calling out. It's just crying out for more consciousness. And yeah. so I'm It really
0: is. And and more and more clients excuse me, are open to learning about meditation. I felt for me it's such a sacred and um my practice and my spirituality is so sacred to me and personal that I didn't want to share it for a long time with any of my clients. Like, well, I don't want to preach to you. I don't want to sound religious-y, you know,
1: but they want that. You got to step up as the teacher. you got to step up as a teacher
0: and be like, okay, well, here's a great meditation center near you. I want you to make it that you go this week as part of your goals that you're doing. Okay. This is a book that I know that you should read, you know, that pertains to meditation or mindfulness. It could be mindfulness in relation to food because there's a lot of that out there. It could be mindfulness in relation to just how to deal with work or your partner or all this other stuff or just actually you just get clients who are like, oh, no, I'm ready. Like, I want to dive in. I'm like, okay, I can point you in the direction. Now, I'm not your teacher, but I just... Don't look at, don't look at me. Like when you, po- there's a Zen saying that's just like somebody's pointing at the moon. You don't want to look at the person pointing. You Just look at the moon. So like, I'm like that person pointing you at the moon. I can point you to where the moon is, but you, you don't look at me as your teacher. Cause obviously I'm not your teacher, but I will teach you where to go.
1: Thank you so much for having us in your house, and I'm psyched to finally connect with you in person and feel your energy and your pressure point holds. Those were great. (laughs) (laughs) Love her. She is so authentic. Her New York slash Massachusetts accent just totally warms my heart. I hope you guys enjoyed today's chat. We'll be back next week with another beautiful human who is inspiring positive action in the world. Thank you so much for your support of the show, sharing it with your friends, leaving a review, an Apple podcast, using the Amazon banner ad on the blog post for this episode for all of your Amazon purchases. Doesn't cost you a thing. And for becoming supporters on Patreon, where for as little as a few bucks a month, you are making a huge impact on the life of the show. This is huge, you guys. We are in deep thanks for your support. We are on a mission to create a better world here at Yogi Triathlete Holistic Performance, and every single one of you is a part of it. Every time you choose to tune in, you add to this momentum. We are all here for unique purposes, and we are all here to live out our unique path to its fullest, sharing our gifts along the way and becoming the absolute most powerful self-realized self within our divine blueprint. But it is not until we become awake and ready that any of this can begin to fully unfold.